Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Canaxis Inc. Fiscal 2020 Third Quarter Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. I'd like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded today, Thursday, November 5th, 2020. I'll now turn the call over to Rick Wadsworth, Vice President of Investor Relations at Canaxis Inc. Please go ahead, Mr. Wadsworth. Thanks, operator. Good morning and welcome to the Canaxis Earnings Call. Today we'll be discussing our third quarter results, which we issued after the close of markets yesterday. With me on the call are John Scard, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Richard Monkman, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we get started, I want to emphasize that some of the information discussed on this call is based on information as of today, November 5, and contains forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from those set forth in such statements. For a discussion of these risks and uncertainties, you should review the forward-looking statements disclosure in the earnings press release as well as in Canaxis's CDAR filings. During this call, we will discuss IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures. A reconciliation between IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures is available in our earnings press release and in our MDNA, both of which can be found in the Investor Relations section of our website, canaxis.com, and on CDAR. Participants are advised that the webcast is live and is also being recorded for playback purposes. An archive of the webcast will be made available on the Investor Relations section of our website. Neither this call nor the webcast archive may be re-recorded or otherwise reproduced or distributed without prior written permission from Canaxis. To begin our call, John will discuss the highlights of our quarter, as well as recent business developments, followed by Richard, who will review our financial results and outlook. Finally, John will make some closing statements before opening up the line for questions. As a final note, we recently held our annual user conference, Connections, and for the first time ever, it was fully virtual, fully open to the public, and now it's available as archived content. Just go to the Investor Relations homepage of Canaxis.com. Scroll down and click Watch Now on the Connections 20 banner to consume sessions on demand. These include customer presentations, new product innovations, and a number of presentations from our new solution extension partners. The event is an incredible crash course on the value proposition we offer our market, so I encourage you to uh, listen in. I'll now turn the call over to John. Thank you, Rick. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. First, as always, I hope you and your families remain healthy. Nothing is more important. We must all do our part to contain the spread of COVID-19, and we continue to extend our deepest thanks and appreciation to frontline workers everywhere and extend our sympathies to those who have been deeply affected. I continue to be amazed at the resilience of Canaxis employees and their ability to remain efficient and effective during this prolonged work-from-home condition. I'm pleased to report that our quarterly results were once again very strong across the board, including SaaS revenue growth of 26% to $39.3 million, total revenue growth of 17% to $55.1 million, 
and adjusted EBITDA margin of 18%. On the strength of our year-to-date results and the growing backlog, we are very pleased to be able to tighten our fiscal 2020 SaaS revenue growth guidance to 24 to 25%, the upper end of the range we initially provided. We are also pleased to be able to increase our total revenue guidance to 220 to 223 million and our adjusted EBITDA margin guidance to 22 to 24% of revenue. Given all that has happened this year, I'm incredibly pleased to be able to present this improved outlook. It speaks to the strength of our team, the criticality of our unique value proposition, and a business model that relies on long-term subscription contracts with blue-chip customers. That said, we recognize that our customers are not immune to COVID-19 and have faced significant disruption themselves. Many of, our long-term, uh, many of their long-term suppliers have similar, similar challenges. Canaxis has also not been completely immune to the short-term side effects. While our backlog and pipeline remain stronger than ever, and sales activity continues to be very high in all regions, we are also seeing some customers and prospects choosing to implement protracted approval processes or delaying their project starts. Retention rates remain high, and we continue to achieve over 100% net revenue retention with our current customer base. Our value is evidenced by the renewals with long term customers like Teradyne, who have been with us for 25 years, and Casio, a 17-year Canaxis customer. However, we have experienced some instances where customers coping with significant adverse financial situations are not currently in a position to renew their subscription agreement. These types of impacts on the broader market were documented in an August industry forecast for supply chain management software and are consistent with the experiences I've just described. Notwithstanding these side effects, it is clear to me that supply chain transformation initiatives have never been more urgent, and I am pleased to see a growing pipeline that is now larger than just three short months ago. Fueling our pipeline even further, we have just concluded our annual Connections Conference, which was virtual this year. We had a record-breaking registration of over 3,000 people representing over 500 companies spanning 70 countries. What is especially encouraging is that the majority of companies attending were prospective customers looking to understand how others are leveraging concurrent planning to absorb unprecedented levels of disruption. The quest for for a hyper-agile supply chain has never been more relevant than today and Canaxis is ready and well-poised to serve this ever-growing need. Supporting this view, I'll add that the industry forecast I mentioned also predicted a stronger year for supply chain management software projects in 2021, with SaaS offerings benefiting disproportionately. Our acquisition of RubiCloud is progressing according to plan. Recently, we were able to announce our first joint customer, Cody, an iconic multinational beauty company with over 70 brands. We said that one of our primary interests in RubiCloud was for its value to our consumer products vertical, and this is but one demonstration why. Naturally, we are working on many more joint opportunities in consumer products and look forward to sharing more news of our success very soon.
Rexall, a retail customer who we welcomed with the RubyCloud acquisition, presented at Connections. Rexall has over 400 pharmacies dedicated to providing exceptional patient care and customer service in 180 communities across Canada. Rexall shared their success in improving demand forecast accuracy by over 20% since moving to our solution. We also welcomed Superdrug as a new Canaxis customer. Superdrug is the second largest health and beauty retailer in the United Kingdom. We are very excited to be in the retail vertical and have identified over 700 potential new targets that fit within our total addressable market. I'm thrilled to share that our strategy to open and extend our rapid response platform to the development capabilities of third-party partners is making real progress. We delivered the extended platform on schedule in mid-2020 and already have five partners that have offered entirely new functionality and mission-critical data through rapid response. Customers will soon be able to take advantage of new capabilities for trans transportation optimization, planning recycling flows, and enhanced production line scheduling, amongst others. The ability for third-party extensions to be developed on rapid response will ultimately accelerate and expand the value our customers will gain and represents an entirely new vector of growth for Canaxis for years to come. Now I will ask Richard to provide further detailed commentary on the financials for the quarter and our outlook. Thank you, John, and good morning. As a reminder, unless noted otherwise, all figures reported on today's call are in U.S. dollars under IFRS. Total revenue in the third quarter increased 17% to $55.1 million. SaaS revenue grew 26% to $39.3 million, driven by new customer wins as well as the expansion of existing customer subscriptions. Subscription term license revenue was approximately $1 million, in line with our expectations for the quarter and previous commentary. As we have consistently noted, subscription term license revenue is primarily tied to the renewal cycle of our customer-hosted software subscriptions as we recognize this right-to-use component of a longer-term subscription in the initial month of the term. Our professional services activity remained strong again, resulting in revenue growing 23% over the corresponding 2019 quarter to $11.5 million. The growth reflects the proven ability of our expanded delivery team to support engagements. As we have noted in the past, professional services revenue will vary from quarter to quarter based on the number, size, and timing of customer projects underway, as well as the level of deployments assumed by our partners. We continue to be pleased with the diversity and strength of our total revenue base. For the year to date, our 10 largest customers accounted for 28% of total revenues, with no individual customer accounting for greater than 10% of total revenues. Gross profit grew by 10% to $36.6 million, with a gross margin of 66% compared to 71% in Q3 2019. The change reflects the increased level of investments in our professional services, customer support, and SaaS delivery capabilities, as well as the impact of the higher level of subscription term license revenue in 2019. 
This year, we have aggressively expanded our team's capabilities across all functions, organically, as well as through our two acquisitions. In particular, we have significantly expanded the capabilities of our product team. We have invested with a longer-term view and for some functions at a level above our 2020 revenue growth. As a result of these investments, and again, the relative contribution of subscription term license revenue, our profit during the quarter decreased to 0.7 million or 3 cents per diluted share compared to 17 cents per share in Q3 2019. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was 16% lower or 10.1 million. Our Q3 cash flow from operating activities was up 326% to 4.5 million from 1.1 million for the third quarter of 2019. As of September 30th, 2020, cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments totaled $210 million compared to $212.6 million at the end of 2019. Approximately $60 million of our cash, however, was used during the third quarter to fund our acquisition of RubiCloud. Our minimum contracted revenue backlog remained strong. As of September 30, 2020, it grew by 26% to $364.7 million as detailed in Note 13 to our financials. This amount includes $334.9 million of SaaS revenue backlog, which represents a 36% increase from September 30, 2019. The backlog will be recognized over the following periods. $43.2 million will be recognized in Q4 of 2020, of which $38.1 million relates to SaaS business. $136.5 will be recognized in 2020, of which $124.3 million relates to SaaS business. And $185 million will be recognized in fiscal 2022 or thereafter, of which $172.5 million relates to SaaS business. Total bookings in Q3 were $75.3 million, of which SaaS bookings were $71.5 million, up significantly from the last quarter and Q1 of this year. Based on our strong year-to-date results, backlog, and with one quarter remaining, we are tightening at the high end of our initial range our SaaS revenue growth expectations to 24 to 25%. Given our strong Q3 SaaS revenue and long history of quarterly sequential growth, we appreciate that some investors may have expected that we would have raised our full-year guidance in line with the 26% year-to-date growth. Let me explain why we believe that our 2020 guidance is appropriate. As John noted, the overwhelming majority of customers have renewed their subscriptions. However, some customers have advised us they're not in a position at this time to renew given current market conditions. Due to some of that activity in late Q3, we were required under revenue recognition rules to bring forward some of Q4 revenue into Q3 that would have otherwise been recognized. Accordingly, our SaaS revenue guidance for the year remains appropriate. We are maintaining our annual guidance for subscription term license revenue at 16 to 17 million. Overall, 
we now expect annual revenue to be in the range of 220 to 223 million. We now anticipate adjusted EBITDA margin for the year to be in the range of 22 to 24% of revenue. The improved outlook relative to our last update reflects both our higher total revenue guidance for 2020 as well as lower travel and event expenses. As per our practice, we will provide 2021 guidance when reporting Q4 results. But I would like to make a few comments now to remind listeners of some of our previous statements. We have noted that subscription term license revenue varies directly in line with scheduled renewals for the underlying customer-hosted subscriptions. As these subscription arrangements have an approximate three-year term, we anticipate a low level of subscription term license in 2020, specifically in the three to five million range, and then returning to the mid 20 million level in 2022. Furthermore, our expense structure has increased in line with our significant investments through both organic and acquisition growth. As John mentioned, we are very pleased to have been able to maintain or increase our strong guidance throughout this very unusual year. While we continue to see the near-term impacts of COVID-19 on our end markets, sales pipeline growth and increasing recognition of our unique product differentiation provide confidence. Thank you for your continued support. With that, I turn the call back over to John. Thank you, Richard. As I mentioned earlier, we hosted over 3,000 registrants from over 500 companies spanning six continents and 70 countries at our virtual connections just two weeks ago. It was an opportunity for us to launch some exciting new product capabilities. I'd like to provide you with some additional detail on what we shared at the event. Our new supply chain command and control center gives companies instant visibility and actionable insights into the health of their business through an intuitive and interactive dashboard that combines traditional data with new digital disruption detection signals. From a single place, companies can manage day-to-day volatility in real time by prioritizing and automating routine responses. The automatic capture of decision data leads to future AI-based decision-making and recommendation improvements. The solution extension partners I mentioned earlier will extend the power of the command and control center application with new planning capabilities and digital inputs. Canaxis is also strengthening its demand management portfolio. With enhanced demand sensing capabilities, companies can increase revenue, improve on-time delivery, and significantly reduce stock outages by incorporating real-time demand signals, data inputs, and automatic machine learning. The result is light touch and a much improved accuracy for short and long-term forecasting. Through the RubaCloud acquisition, the addition of AI-powered promotions planning capabilities helps consumer products and retail companies identify the best business opportunities, reduce missed dollar opportunities, and increase promotions revenue uplift. All this new functionality attracts new subscription dollars, which means a larger total addressable market, as well as a more highly differentiated product. As Rick mentioned at the outset, all our connections sessions are available on demand 
So we encourage you to register and dig deeper into our new capabilities at your convenience. And hear for yourself how our customers describe the value of concurrent planning firsthand. As always, thank you for taking the time to join us on this call. With that, I'll turn the line over to the operator for Q&A. If you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. First question comes from Richard Say with National Bank Financial. Yes, uh, thank you. Just uh, wanted to dig into these uh, the non-renewals a bit more. Um, based on your comments, are you suggesting that these clients are kind of in a situation of financial distress on their own, and that's kind of causing them to be in this position here? Well, it's it's uh, difficult for me to judge, um, you know, with precision what our customers, you know, what is, what is guiding our customers' decisions. I will say. Um, you know, it's quite typical during uh, a pandemic like this for a lot more scrutiny around investments. And, you know, not every, not every company in the world is, um, you know, is, is surviving through this pandemic uh, as well as others. And so, you know, what I would tell you is, you know, our, our net revenue retention remains um, over 100% and the overwhelming majority of renewals have taken place. Uh, our confidence remains uh, high in our midterm growth um, in that mid-20 percentage range. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, some of, these, uh, some of these conditions are, you know, I would say temporal. Yeah, and if, if I may, John and, and, and Richard, thanks for that question. As John noted, with the overwhelming majority of customers renewing, this situation was a, a little different in that uh, just because of the revenue recognition rules, we had to pull revenue that we anticipated in Q4 into, uh, uh, into Q3. And so the total revenue was anticipated as Q4. It was the timing. And so that really is uh, why we wanted to, uh, to highlight that, because uh, when you take a look, you'll see that you know, revenue is probably going to be in line in Q4 with, uh, with Q3 with this guidance. Yeah, the only reason I asked about the whether they're in financial distress is that you know everything we've heard just in the industry is that supply chain has been so critical during this pandemic, and yet you know if uh, these customers are sort of leaving, um, it sort of just begs the question: is it related to that? So, anyways, um, with respect to uh, the pipeline, so just to kind of allay fears here, uh, you talked about the pipeline on your call. Can you give us an order of magnitude in terms of the sequential increase? No doubt, uh, I'm sure you got a lot of inbounds from that conference recently, uh, which was widely well attended. But if you give us some perspective on that, that'd be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It um, you know it it continues to strengthen from from the same period last quarter. Um, that's just the fact. It, it is larger now than it was three months ago. It's you know, I, I like monitoring um, not just the, you know, the overall size of the pipeline, but the health, and and not just the health, but, you know, uh, you know, I'd like to see is it healthy in all regions, right, in Europe and in Asia, and I can say that um, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, you know, more activity, more acts, more sales activity now than we were three months ago. That's a fact. Uh, obviously, our connections conference happened just two weeks ago. Um, I can tell you that we, uh, you know, the 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 registration and participation um, was 
you know, that was greater than we had anticipated. It was wonderful to see, but not surprising. You know, I think supply chain as a craft has been around as long as humanity has been. And it will be around for thousands of years to come. And under current conditions, it is not unnatural for, for manufacturers to be looking for ways to absorb this unprecedented, ferocious, um, you know, disruption. And so opening this up to the public, um, I can tell you that the majority of companies um, were, were prospective companies looking to learn. We had wonderful customers uh, that talked about their journey and the manner in which they were absorbing disruption, and I think that was the um, you know that was the magnet for for attending. So obviously, you know, just two weeks ago, having uh, you know having this wonderful group of of prospects in our home is a uh, is a wonderful thing uh, for us, and we're obviously working that uh, you know working those prospects um, given how warm they are. Um, so, so that's the way I would describe, uh, you know, our current condition with the pipeline. Okay, and just one last quick one for me. Do you think these non-renewals are materially uh, enough that they would affect 2021, or do you think the uh, growth in your pipeline is robust enough to kind of uh, give you confidence here that you'll sort of continue the track that you're on? Well, with, with the with the renewals, you know, I, again the you know, the overwhelming majority from both a dollar and a number perspective have renewed. Our net retention is above uh, 100%. And and, um, um, and so, you know, I can't comment on the long term, but in the near term, and we, we see that carrying on over, over the 100%. Uh, and then as John noted, it's it's a matter you, you see, you, you can see the backlog and, and you can see the, the you know, the ratio if, if you wanted to do your own projection as to growth. And then it's a matter of our activity in the, in Q4, and uh, and uh, you know the conversion of that that strong funnel that we have, and that's why Richard, it's it's that's why we're you know our, our cadence has always been to provide guidance at the same time when we report the results, so that you know it's 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 clear to everybody when you know they can see that backlog and they can see the results and and and. Um, uh, you know, as John said, we remain confident in the broader market conditions. It's not without without its challenges, but um, you know that's that's you know this is this is our, our our history of 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 execution. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Next question comes from Thanos Moshopoulos with BMO Capital Markets. the non-renewals, um, can you clarify, are we talking about sort of like a handful of customers or would it be something more than that? And then um, in some cases, might it be a question where the customer wants to keep using the software, but it's tied up with procurement and, and they might actually renew at some point in the future? Or in these cases, does it seem more likely that they might be switching off the software indefinitely? Well, Thanos, thanks for that question. In fact, that's a very interesting question. and. and and you know we're very pleased to have uh, you know welcome back customers after they, they they departed and you know there's a number of reasons why you know uh, customers may have left uh, you know everything from from their business climate to uh, to, to other factors but uh, yes we we for greater clarity we have welcomed back clients after uh, the uh, you know after we had a sort of bit of a separation if you will um, the 
you know, when I do talk about you know the the overwhelming majority, it's it's so yes, it is it is a relatively small number. We would love to keep every customer, uh, and in fact, what we have done and, and we can we will continue to do is to invest in our um, our customer success programs, and this starts off from you know helping them through to training through um, you know ongoing uh, health checks with them to um, you know helping them understand features that they may that we can see that are not utilizing um, we have a dedicated team in this regard we have a sales team that is also now just focused on on, on working with with customers and and we're seeing we're seeing that uh, that success but there come times when regardless of what we do uh, the situation is just um, such that that um, we have to um, uh, part ways. But it's um, you know again, and um, you know uh, we we're, you know we remain confident in our ability to uh, to, to work with customers. But we we can't you know project. Uh, I mean, we have lost customers, for instance, through acquisition or through insolvency. So uh, I you know I can't predict what's going to happen in, in the longer term. But you know those are the actions that we're taking to. To continue to strengthen uh, our rapport and our relationships with our customers. All right. And did the non-renewals have uh, any impact on your capitalized contract acquisition costs in the quarter? Uh, I'm sorry, I missed that. They, they did so, yeah. Did the non-renewals have an impact on your capitalized uh, contract acquisition uh, costs in the quarter? Um, n no. Okay. Um, and then finally, um, John, if you could comment on the competitive environment, um, just with COVID and, and everything going on, um, has there been any change in the landscape? Um, has it caused customers, for example, to become more appreciative of the value of concurrency? Um, how are you seeing your competitors respond um, in, in this environment relative to what the dynamic was like pre-COVID? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and we're seeing, um, you know, while you know the the large incumbents you know continue to be um, you know ever threatening uh, I will say that the the openness to altering technique um, well well frankly in the conversations I've had I've a I've never had more conversations about it with c-level executives in a single quarter than I have in this past quarter you know there there's a deep interest in understanding can I be managing governing supply chain planning differently um, and achieve you know, achieve better results. Um, and so that gives me, you know, uh, confidence that there's a, a trend towards um, transformation. And, you know, I, people ask me, what's the likelihood that supply chains are going to digitize and transform? The answer to that question is 100%. There's a 100% chance that companies will transform and digitize at some point in time. I, you know, the question is about timing. And so, um, you know, while I wouldn't necessarily declare we are at some inflection point, I will say that this pandemic has called, called into question the, you know, the legacy approaches to governing supply chain planning and the lethargy that comes with it. You know, most of, uh, you know, the conversations I'm having with supply chain practitioners, I'm hearing one common thread. The things that I could trust to be true yesterday are no longer trustworthy, right? And 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 so you know they're they're starting to recognize that uh, you know the the 
the agility uh, muscle, if you will, the atrophy in agility is what's causing um, a lot of the pain they're, they're experiencing today. So, you know, as it relates to, to competition, I would say, you know, we're, we're seeing less, um, I'd say, product threat <laughs> from competitors that, you know, that cannot um, come close to, to, uh, to showing any concurrent planning capability. And frankly, I, you know, in, in the 27 years I've been um, serving this market, you know, I've yet to see a technology come close to what we do. That's great. I'll stop flying. Thanks. Next question comes from Stephanie Price with CIBC. Good morning. Good morning, Stephanie. Could you comment a bit on the conversion of the pipeline? Um, can you talk a bit about the comment around deferred deals and expanded approval processes? Has, has this accelerated since last quarter, and, and are they specific to certain verticals or geographies or, or more broad-based? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I mentioned earlier there's a lot more scrutiny in, in um, you know, in investment. I, I think households are applying a lot more scrutiny in how they're spending, which I think is only uh, responsible. And so, you know, I, I would say that, you know, the last, you know, last earnings call we talked about that, seeing protracted uh, and, you know, heavier, if you will, uh, procedures around approvals, often requiring, you know, board approval uh, to, to proceed on projects like this. And so we're continuing to see that in a broader, um, in a broader sense. As, you know, as the pandemic sort of um, settles in and people realize that, you know, this is going to be around a little longer than perhaps they, they thought, um, you know, three or six months ago. Um, so I, I'd say that, you know, the, the, the protracted procedures for approval um, are starting to broaden across, you know, across the, the verticals and the geographies that we serve. Okay, thanks. Um, and in terms of professional services revenue, obviously strong again this quarter. Just wonder if you can talk a bit about implementation timelines in the current environment and, and how you see kind of this growth rate trending going forward. Oh, uh, thanks, Stephanie. We've been extremely impressed by our expanding professional service team, both uh, the, 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 again, the organic growth as well as with uh, the, the uh, Piranha team, and, uh, and how they've been able to engage, in fact, uh, arguably significantly higher productivity because they don't have to uh, spend time on travel and so on. But it's, it's not just simply that higher level of productivity and higher level engagement across customers it's that we've expanded our capabilities beyond just uh, deployment to include what we call sustained services. In that, what we do is we continue to to engage with our customers and provide ongoing support throughout their journey with uh, with with Canaxis. So this 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 is bringing in additional uh, revenue um, uh, for us. So it's not just simply the deployment or the initial deployment, the expansion, but it's the ongoing uh, level of engagement. So it's, it's a combination then of a stronger, uh, broader team and, uh, and a greater menu of, uh, of, of, of capabilities. 
Great. And then just, just finally for me, maybe a related question around partner execution in the quarter. Uh, just wondering what you've seen through COVID in terms of partner engagement and, and execution and, and maybe a bit on the new solution extension partners as well. I noticed that one of them was a premier uh, sponsor of Connections last week. Well, I'll maybe I'll comment from sort of a, from a uh, from a deal perspective, then I'll let John comment further on. You know, he, he did note with regards to some of the, uh, the, the the platform enablement activity that's going on. But you know, the majority of deals continue to be new name deals, continue to be partner influenced. So you know, we're very pleased with that that the, the partner universe continues to to expand. The, the number of, of, of certified individuals as well as their level of certification, you know, continues continues to, to execute. And so, you know, we're very, very pleased with the, uh, the, the take up and, and the, the broadening of that knowledge uh, globally. Uh, and, you know, in terms of, you know, the partner, some of the partner enablement expansions. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things that we have seen um, as a result of, of the pandemic, and it's, and it's really a, uh, you know, what I would say is a phenomenon coming from our own customers. You know, um, this disruption has caused, um, you know, I would say a lot of the automation um, and optimization approaches to fail because the assumptive parameters driving automation can no longer be trusted. And as a result, human intervention um, and agility, agility through human in intervention is is the path to success. It's not unlike a, an aircraft that hits turbulence, you know, all of a sudden the first thing the pilot does is turn off autopilot and grab and grabs the the yoke. And so this is happening all over the world and as a result our customers themselves have come to us asking for, you know, what they call sustainment services. You know, do you have skilled individuals that can help us absorb all the volatility because our team, you know, quite frankly isn't large enough to absorb, you know, there aren't enough hands and minds to absorb the volatility they're dealing with. And so I think that's one of the areas that's caused professional services for us uh, to remain high, as well as partners, right? They're leaning on partners um, heavily on sustainment services to help them absorb the volatility. So, you know, projects remain, um, you know, very, very um, uh, active. The other thing I will say as a side effect is there's no, what I'll call uh, time zone fatigue. You know, in a time where professional services often happens on uh, on premises, where you know um, consultants and employees and partners are made to travel across time zones and deal with that, well, that's not happening. And so we're seeing even more efficiency in the delivery um, of projects. Lastly, I'd say you know customers are are looking to accelerate milestones more than ever. You know they they know they know the benefits that will come with concurrency, and so they're looking to hit those milestones faster, um, you know, than originally anticipated. Great, thank you. Next question comes from Robert Young with Canaccord Genuity. Hi, good morning. Um, I was hoping to put a little bit of precision around some of your statements around these um, renewals delays. Are you talking about cancellations of service happening currently? Or are you talking about renewal delays, so uncertain potential for cancellation of certain uh, of service? Yeah, so so Rob, our, our contracts are are fixed and determinable, and so um, you know these 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 are essentially at the end of the term, you know customers, um, uh, you know it would be those customers not renewing. Now, in in some instances. Uh, you know, arrangements may have a, a, a ramp. Uh, 
you know, for instance, uh, you know, we we use our strong balance sheet. I, you know, I sort of jokingly call them the Bank of Canaxis, whereby, uh, you know, as customers continue to see a stronger ROI as they broaden their usage of rapid response, we may, uh, you know, provide a bit of a shift in terms of the actual payments. But, uh, you know, our agreements are fixed determinable. And so it'd be basically, uh, you know, they've, they've chosen not to exercise their renewal, uh, their renewal rights at the end of the term. Okay, and then uh, remind us on the seasonality of renewals. Uh, Q4, is that a seasonally strong quarter for renewals, or would you say Q1 would be the stronger quarter? Well, the subscription arrangements are typically in sort of the three-year band. In some cases, they're longer. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've been now uh, into our 15th year of, 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 of our year of subscription. So uh, over time, there was a little bit more seasonality, but, you know, as we've, we've you know, expanded the customer base and, uh, we you know, I would say there really isn't um, that level of, of seasonality. Uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, with regards to, you know, very long-term customers, uh, some that were actually converted, uh, you know, that were prior to 2005, uh, those are the ones that I have to seem to talk about every earnings call with regards to subscription term license. So, yes, there is some baked in on that minority of, of customers uh, cycle, but, uh, you know, at the broader level, uh, I, I, would, uh, I, I wouldn't say uh, there is that uh, marked seasonality. Now, don't forget our, our, our customers, we very much have a land and expand model. So, you know, what is not uncommon is them to, to expand, but, you know, those, those expansions are predominantly on a, on a coterminous basis, so you'll, you'll see that pick up as we go through. Okay, and then it sounds as though you've got an expanding group of prospects, if I read the, the, the comments earlier correctly, maybe even broadened further by connections. So are, are you putting in place more aggressive qualification and like, do you think that sales needs to get more efficient here to handle a higher level of prospect volume, or do you think you need to expand sales because these are high quality, high probability prospects? Well, one thing that uh, again is a is a side effect, a positive side effect, if you will, of of um, of this work from home condition, is that we've been made to perfect the virtual sale and the virtual demo, and uh, you know the. You know, I'd say our, our pre-sales consultants, their efficiency, I would say, has nearly gone up 3x. You know, when you think about how demonstrations used to happen, you'd, you'd get on a plane and you'd fly some, somewhere, a different time zone, uh, have dinner, wake up, get up the next day, go to do a two, three-hour demo, um, then, you know, fly back. You, you get the picture. And now... You know, you can do three times the number of of, uh, of demonstrations in the same period without increasing that function, and that's been really um, that's been really positive for us. Uh, so we're doing a lot more online, frankly, a lot more online. And you know, the thing the, the other thing is, you know, our our employees obviously um, feel it's unsafe to get on airplanes and fly, and in some cases, countries don't want you visiting either, and prospects don't care to have you visit them uh, as well. So, you know, this online phenomenon is really um, is really taking hold. So sales has gotten more efficient? Yes. 
I'll pass on. And next question comes from Paul Treiber with RBC. Oh, thanks very much and good morning. Just another question on the non-renewals. Could you confirm uh, or, or quantify the, the pull forward, the amount of pull forward of revenue from Q4 to Q3? Uh, and then also, I assume that there'd be no impact to backlog um, because these are just non-renewals, but could you confirm that? Yes, Paul. Uh, with regards to backlog, yes, there is no impact. I mean, the uh, the, uh, the you know a renewal event, uh, you know, to the to the extent that it's 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 it's, it's minimum contracted amount gets added then to, to backlog. Uh, in this instance, uh, uh, you know, it, it so we're not really we can't really we don't talk about individual customers. So I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, you know, as I think I, as I did intimate earlier, uh, you know, this is pulling revenue from Q4 into Q3. We're holding, in fact, we're tightening our total full-year uh, subscription growth in the 24 to 25% range. And 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 when you run that math, you'll see, you know, either uh, you know potentially well a slight decrease or in line with, you know, Q4 revenue being in line with Q3, depending upon. You know the expansion and new name uh, activity in the, within the quarter, so that's sort of the the range that it uh, bounds by. So again, we're you know it uh, it did not impact our ability to uh, to uh, to to shift to the upper end of our full year guidance. And then thinking about the business itself, and I imagine these customers um, was it was it a surprise? To you that these customers didn't renew, uh, you know, I assume you can see some customer usage. Like, were these customers underutilizing the product? And then, are there other customers that um, similarly maybe underutilizing rapid response? And or and do you see a risk of potential non-renewal at other customers that haven't notified you yet? Well, again, I mean, that's it's 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 a it's a it's a very it's a broad-based uh, uh, situation, you know. Sometimes, as I noted, that uh, it could be an acquisition. So at the end of their term, they're not going to renew because they, maybe they're already, in a, you know, that the parent company then is, a, is a customer of, of Canaxis. Uh, in some cases, we've in limited cases we've had, you know, insolvencies that that have precluded that. Uh, in other cases, we've had highly engaged customers uh, that are are driving value, uh, and this is. You know, but just because of, you know, you know, I'd almost would call it a triage type of situation whereby while they're driving value, they have been, um, they're in such a financial situation that, um, you know, they, they, they're not able to um, necessarily renew. In some cases, you're right. It is a matter of, of utilization. But again, that's where we have this customer success team that is engaged in working with them to um, um, to try to uh, try to try to help them. And then just lastly, just to, to summarize this, to, to what extent is um, you know non-renewals normal course in the in the business, and to what extent has there been a change um, because of the pandemic or whatever whatever factors? Yeah, so as, as mentioned, we continue to have, um, you know, net revenue retention north of 100%. And, um, you know, as, as Richard said, um, it would be abnormal to keep v virtually 100% of our customers over a 15-year period because of 
insolvency in some cases, um, you know, through acquisition where one of our customers buys another one of our customers, and so the, you know, the you know one absorbs the other, if you will, and that's that's happened. Um, you know, I will say that, you know, we we have a very active, um, you know, what I call you know value assessment and performance and adoption assessment that's ongoing um, for every one of our customers. But I would say, you know, we're, we shouldn't be surprised under COVID that cash preservation becomes the most important thing above all other things. And so, and so I, you know, I, I would certainly, you know, we're, we're obviously losing a customer is never a positive thing. Um, as Richard said, as, as we go through COVID, there may be um, there may be other conditions that this occurs. Um, at the same time, you know our our pipeline of new net net new activity continues to grow, larger now than it was three months ago. Uh, we have you know hundreds of prospects that were just in our home at Connections, learning and listening to what um, our customers are doing to absorb this unprecedented time in history. Um, and so we're going to obviously be working those accounts um, very diligently. Our, our sales team has become far more efficient than it's ever been. Um, you know, so you know we're not we're not sitting back thinking, oh my goodness, there's a you know this is some kind of a systemic problem. Um, no, I think what the systemic problem is is the lack of agility in supply chain and the need to address it through transformation. Um, and so you know we're. Uh, you know, we're feeling pretty p positive about the state of the pipeline and and, uh, and the sales activities going on this quarter. Thanks. Take my question. Next question comes from Daniel Chan with TD Securities. Well, thanks for taking my questions. Just had a um, question on uh, the EBITDA margin guidance. If we back into the Q4 implied um, EBITDA margin at the high end, it's about 11%, which is lower than we've ever seen. Just wondering if there's anything going on in Q4 that would um, cause that lower EBITDA margin, whether it's higher expenses or, or something else that we're not thinking about here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question, Dan. Uh, I mean, there. I mean, uh, obviously, at a very simple level, it's you know, it's revenue less, uh, you know, cost of sales and and and, and opex. The uh, you know, we're going to continue to to we've provided the full year range of revenue, the 20 to 23. So you can model on that. Uh, you know, we're very continue to be very, you know, pleased with our professional services. Uh, the subscription term license will not be on, uh, you know, a significant level in, in Q4. And then we've we've talked about uh, sort of the range bound for the uh, uh, SaaS level. So, um, but at the same point in time, we've noted the uh, significant uh, expansion of our team's capabilities, both organically, because we've, we've been hiring aggressively um, uh, through this uh, pandemic, as well as then with the, uh, the acquisition. Uh, adding to that, uh, it is not uncommon for sales and marketing in particular to be higher in Q4, you know, given uh, the level of, of events, even on a virtual basis. So, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, all I can do is reinforce. We're very, very positive by the the productivity of the business, the the level of of profit, and and uh, very pleased to increase the uh, guidance for the uh, full year uh, to that uh, to that range. Are you expecting to uh, accelerate hiring uh, through the end of the year and possibly into 
2021? Well, we're, we are a growing organization, and we're not a quarter-over-quarter focus. You know, we've significantly, you know, I think we've noted before that, you know, from a few years back, have now, for instance, quadrupled our, our, our sales, uh, you know, quota-carrying capabilities. We've dramatically, as I noted uh, in my prepared comments, uh, with this, you know, most recently with the acquisition of RubiCloud, increased our, our, our capabilities uh, and, and on the product R&D team. We're, we're expanding our global customer care. We're, we're investing in the data centers. This is all part of that longer term because what we want to do is make sure that we're, 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 we're in a capable uh, situation to execute upon, upon this growth. And so, yes, we are going to be increasing. Now, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, we've, we've dramatically increased, uh, you know, over 50% this year in terms of people. I don't think that's going to be sustained. But, you know, again, what we'll do is, uh, you know, when we provide guidance into our operating plan for 2021, we'll, we'll give you those, uh, those ranges. And I just wanted to uh, dig into the co-designing with, uh, with RuboCloud. This, this came about pretty soon after you acquired RuboCloud. Can you talk about how the cross-sell happened so quickly? And you also mentioned in the press release that you're making progress with cross-selling RuboCloud into other customers in your CPG base. So just wondering if you could shed some light on how many trials are going on and if we should expect those to be just as fast as the Cody deal. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, it's a great question, and um, you know, as it relates to that uh, particular deal, I will say we, while we don't comment specifically on one deal versus the other, um, closing that particular opportunity happened significantly faster than um, other uh, opportunities. You know, almost 50% faster. Um, you know, as as a result, so the fact that we had you know we had a relationship um, already in place. And the value proposition being so uh, potent for uh, consumer products, I think, really helps. So, of course, we're, you know, um, in, with our strength in consumer products, we are actively engaged right now, um, you know, describing and demonstrating and selling the, uh, the, the, the value proposition that came with that acquisition with, with other um, uh, CP customers. And participants, we will take one question per caller. Next question comes from Paul Steep with Scotia Capital. Okay, great. I'll stick to it. Um, Richard, can you just confirm that the 50% year-on-year was at the end of the quarter? Thanks, folks. For headcount, that is. Oh, the 50, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the, 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 it's over 50% from the start of, of this year. Of the year. Yeah. yeah, and we had made that point in earlier earnings calls that we were – Projecting to be, you know, potentially north of 40, and we're north of 40, closer to 50, perhaps slightly above 50 at this stage. That helps. Thanks. Next question comes from Deepak Koshal with Stiefel GMP. Oh, hi. Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my question. So I'll keep it to one then. Um, gross margins. They took a dip in the quarter, uh, Richard. Probably the lowest I've got on record. Um, wonder if you can tell us how much of that headwind is organic versus inorganic and maybe some color on the cash versus non-cash portion and, and what portion of that is sustainable versus acquired amortization. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks, Deepak. The, the, with regards to gr gross profit, uh, 
you know, it's highly influenced by the timing of subscription term license revenue. So, you know, it, it does it does vary. You know, some quarters is over 70%, some quarters is under 70%. And then, uh, you know, in terms of the COGS, there's three fundamentals. There is uh, the professional services team. Uh, there is the data center and the whole infrastructure for the, the cloud support. And then there's the customer support organization. Those are the three key areas. Uh, all areas have been, uh, been, uh, been growing and accelerating. Now, the margin on professional service revenue is lower than the margin on, on, uh, on SaaS. And so, you know, that, that, uh, that gross profit is really a function of, you know, the, the, therefore the cost, the timing of the subscription term license, and the mix of, of PS. And so, uh, you know, we still think that's very, very strong. It's obviously led to uh, strong EBITDA performance. In fact, to the point whereby, you know, we increased our overall uh, uh, adjusted EBITDA performance for the year. Next question comes from Sutha Sukumar with 8 Capital. Good morning, guys. Um, just a question on on the around some of the recent deals that that you signed. Uh, can you speak about? Can you speak on some of the trends that you're seeing around buying behavior? Um, are, you know, are there particular solutions and modules, or even seats that are being purchased more now upfront um, versus before? Um, and what the what the impact has been on your um, kind of average contract values versus uh, historical periods? Yeah, it's a great question. I will say that it really depends on how customers being affected by this pandemic. In some cases, customers have, have seen demand for their products go through the ceiling. And so they're, you know, working very, very diligently to absorb and capture and ship, you know, improve their on-time and full uh, measurements to, to capture all of that demand. And in some cases, customers are seeing their demands go through the floor, and so they're they're working really hard to preserve cash. Cash preservation is a key element. Lowering inventory and becoming hyper hyper efficient uh, to absorb um, the volatility. And so a lot depends on on the on the type of condition that that uh, a prospect finds themselves in. Okay. Next question. Next question comes from Nick Agostino with Laurentian Bank Securities. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, John, just wondering, uh, now that we're about more than eight months into this pandemic, are there any clients, you spoke earlier about a prolonged contract approval process, are there any clients that maybe you were anticipating to come in late Q1, early Q2, or sometime during Q2 that have come in um, in Q3 or even in, in early Q4 that are part of your backlog that maybe you can speak to. There's a prolongment on the contract process, but you are seeing those customers uh, come in. Thanks. Yeah, the the answer is yes. You know, we've been successful in getting contracts closed in October um, that that might have been anticipated earlier. Um, you know, we'd had uh, you know contract negotiations completed in their entirety, um, only to see you know, potentially six or longer weeks waiting for board meetings to occur to get final uh, approval. So, I mean, th that's the, you know, the, the you know, the, I'd say the phenomenon that we didn't necessarily see in the past. Um, and so, you know, obviously we're, there's, there's engagements and activity going on, you know, ongoing as we speak throughout, um, you know, throughout Q4 
and we're just drawing attention to this new phenomenon. Every every company is is implementing these protracted, um, what I would say, you know, uh, more detailed uh, approval processes um, differently. So, you know, we're obviously monitoring this very very closely. Uh, you know, forecasting our activities very closely as a result of this. Um, you know, as a result of what we're seeing. Uh, and, and obviously that's reflected in our guidance. Okay, thank you. And at this time, I will turn the call over to Mr. Wadsworth. Thanks, operator, and uh, thanks everyone for your questions. Apologies to uh, have to limit questions at the end, but we're running into some time constraints uh, here, so uh, please reach out to me and uh, we can chat after the call. Uh, as always, we do appreciate your questions and your interest and support of Canaxis. We'll uh, speak with you again when we report our Q4 results. So uh, bye for now. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.